This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Black Ball. Black, Black, Black Ball. What is up, everybody? My name is James D. Fiore, and this is Blackballed. Uh, for regular viewers and listeners of Blackball, you know that over the last couple months, we have been uh, putting extensive coverage onto a group called the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, aka the Exclusive Brethren, aka a really bad cult. And we've been featuring people who used to belong to this cult. And um, keep in mind, you're born into it. You don't get tapped to get into the Plymouth Brethren. You're born into it. So there's certain families that have, um, uh, I don't want to say prestige, but there is sort of a pecking order uh, that Cheryl Hope, when she was on the show, told us about. And for some of the ex-Brethren, it's been really harrowing, um, you know, trying to live life after being in that community for so long. And for, uh, for others, they've just remained quiet. Other people have gone to other religions and just haven't, haven't looked back. Um, but one of the things that, that most of them share in common is this sort of period of harassment that you go through when, when you leave. And there are some people, like my guest today, who – it's funny because she laughed at me when, when I told her this, that when I said uh, – when I told a couple of ex-Brethren members who I was interviewing, um, one of them said – Oh, she's like the princess die of the brethren. And uh and she she laughed when I said that because you know it's 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 fun to get compared to someone like Princess Die, I guess. But uh be that as be that as it may, this our our guest today it would be considered someone who's like from um a pretty special bloodline. Her grandfather was James Symington, uh, who led the church from 1970 to 1987. And as Richard Marsh explained to me, it's sort of like the equivalent to the Pope. And if anyone was Catholic growing up, as I was, you know that the one thing, the special power that the Pope had was to talk to Jesus. And from all the people that I've heard uh, talk about this group, when whoever the universal leader is, I think it's called, um, they, they are considered someone special enough to sort of be that conduit or that connecting tissue between God and the flock. And so here to talk about that, uh, to talk about her experience in the Plymouth Brethren, and to talk about how she got out, my guest today is Carmen Drever. Carmen, how are you? <laughs> so the, the, the whole bloodline part of, of being um, the, the granddaughter of James, it's Symington, right? Not Symington? I've been saying Symington for months. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, what was it like for you specifically growing up in that community? And, and it doesn't have, we don't have to start off the bat with any dark stories. Like what was life like, like before you knew that you were in something that maybe you didn't want to be in and life was still okay. What was it like then? You kind of felt 
felt like you were always being watched and everybody and kids to see what they were doing and looking at whether it was an okay thing to do or not okay. they would look at us and and try to catch us doing something that that they wanted to do as an yeah so it's, you're kind it, of it, always on trial yeah um and were you treated differently because of who your grandfather was definitely think so um, and there's a good side and a bad side you know you were supposed to tell the line a whole lot better um mm. and the and the good side of it was is you, you probably wouldn't have got to go if if you were just ordinary right um okay so what were the circumstances surrounding you leaving the 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 brethren and how old were you for me um i got married at eight Saskatchewan, and it was really exciting for me because niche was a it was she and i thought oh this is a new start you know going to maple creek they hadn't had a lot of new blood been a lot of intermarriages and not like new people coming in there so when i got there they had filled our cupboards with food it was like i was really excited at that point i would have been very much an idealist very much thinking that okay it was and what were the so so give me an idea of the day that you left and tell me how what that was like i i've heard I, i've asked that question of several ex-members because you know, the planning that it sometimes takes and sometimes they just like leave and people don't come after them, but there's a whole context surrounding those kinds of cases. So what was it like for you on the day that you left? What were the circumstances and what happened in the immediate aftermath? Day that we left the brother? Mm -hmm. Yes. And we had, we had quit going for that. And we had really decided that we were gonna leave. We had, we were sort of sitting there we were kind of done done with a lot of the garbage that, that goes on in there but we, we hadn't come about, about oh about august and we knew that at christmas vacation that's um we had quit letting them come and see us priestly visits were like a waste of time we we looked at stuff one way they constantly came back and tried to push it when you get your feet dug in there's just no negotiation so once we knew everybody was ready to go and we just spent the last, you know, five months. Um, was you started off in the States and then you ended up in Maple Creek and then is that where you left from? No, actually we went I, I, and about nine years after I got there, we found ourselves in a situation. I think at that that point we might have left if we hadn't been offered the chance to go to Winnipeg and um, our, our disagreements with Maple Creek. So we went to Winnipeg for, for about six years between the two places. But I think once we left Maple Creek in our heads, we already knew they screwed up. Yeah. And actually you're touching on something that I should probably mention. Cause I told my audience a couple times over the last week that I would be unearthing documents today and I have them and everything, but I, I'm actually not going to um, broadcast them. I'm not going to show them uh, yet because I, we, we want to make sure first of all, that our lawyers are happy because um, 
this I'm, I'm not sure if people really understand the uh, the gravity of what we're trying to do here because there has been an avalanche of people coming forward um, to to talk about their stories uh, about when they were inside and what happened to them when they left that I can't even keep up with them. Like I have to, I have to sort of give them to a couple other people that are helping with this just so we can get through them. But specifically um, the document that you sent me, um, you authored, and it was about problems that were taking place in Maple Creek. So rather than show the document, since you're the author of the document, can you tell us what your, um, from your perspective, what was happening in Maple Creek that gave you so many concerns? Well, you know, once we got into it, excited, I thought this was going to be great. You know, it just seemed like a different, there was just atmosphere there. And it wasn't but about three or four months, and I, I was starting to look around like, um, they, 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 in the brother, and that's when they kind of, if somebody's done something wrong, they set them aside and supposedly work with them and, and you know, try to try to dissuade them from leaving the position completely there's the other situation where they excommunicate them completely in their teaching ex supposed to be viewed as, as like a death you know like like their assembly death and preach that this was you know the assembly death of this person and you know it wasn't but i started to notice it seemed like once a month at least we were going out to meeting and and you know next thing i knew they were shutting the next one up and what really hit me was these were really young kids like some of them were even as young as like old um sorry how old how old are the young ones 13 and 14 years old wow and not certainly not old enough to be making those decisions on their own you mm. know they're just going through their hormones they're you know they're they're cheeky teenage stage at that making lifelong decisions you know like the death of a church that they've been born into they've been born born into yeah um and and so when i read these and so these documents basically detail some of the things that the families were going through who got priestly visits i still can't get over the fact that um the the brethren used the term shutting up like it's a technical term, <laughs> like it's yeah. just part of the processes, you know, you know, well, you definitely are shut up because you're stuck in a contact with anyone. Right. And you're, you've got three hots and a <laughs> Yeah. Well, but the, but when I read the document and you were talking about priestly visits to this house and the, and the, you know, the two elders or whoever would come in and they, I mean, a priestly visit is basically a lecture, right? Like they just lecture you. They ask you about all of the stuff you've been doing and then they lecture you. Isn't that really what yeah. it is? So, um, um, but then when it came lecture. to, sorry, say again. A very stern lecture. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and something tells me that if you were old enough to be able to identify it, you could probably smell the rye all over their breath. <laughs> they were doing that, right? 100% without a doubt. Yeah. I was actually joking, but I'm kind of floored now that that's true because, you know, 100%. who better than to give a lecture than a drunk old man, you know, like it's exactly. <laughs> and, um, and a drunk old man that really, really thinks he's never done anything wrong. And yeah. And then, and then we got to a certain point in the documents where you list the, 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 the names of the kids at the time, the teenagers or whatever. 
that were excommunicated or had left. And I'm looking at this list and I'm not going to, the only name I'm going to mention that was on the list was Cheryl, Cheryl Hope. Yeah. And then the rest of the names of these people were, first of all, again, they were teenagers. And second of all, they were all kind of dreamers. And there was like two or three families represented in total. And, and the first thing that came to mind, and this could be because I'm totally, you know, I'm obviously not a fan of cults. So I'm looking at this story as it's like, it's basically a mission to find as many factual things about this organization as we can to inform the Canadian public and by extension, you know, anyone in the world that wants to learn about this group, what they're all about. And the, when I saw that list, the first thing that came to mind was, oh my God, is that a list of kids that were excommunicated because someone was afraid of getting caught abusing one of them? And I didn't want to like, and you know, and I'm even surmising right now, but don't, we're not attaching any names to this list of whether it's abused or perpetrator or whatever, but you wrote it. So I want to know what was going on in your mind when, when you wrote that, what did it ever dawn on you in that particular context that maybe that list of excommunicated young people might've been a list of abused kids? It did. It did. It crossed my mind. It crossed my mind. The reason that it crossed my mind was that these were young people that they're getting excommunicated for, for, for like stuff that we did all the time excommunicated they're getting shut up for stuff that in itchy and we didn't even get talked to when so it just seemed and that wasn't just because i was Simonton. that was just because that was you know and we came out there and it just seemed like they were so legal and so looking to and i I remember saying to rick sometimes it just doesn't make sense it's like the, the future of this church you know because the future is in your young, young people yeah well you'd think so um <clears throat> i i was uh, i was sent this actually it was richard marsh that sent me this and it's uh, it's called the coercive control and cultic groups in the united kingdom it's, it's a research paper done by the family survival trust action against cultic abuse and it was july of this year so this month it just came out and I'm looking at the table of contents and the table of contents are things like isolation and engulfment shunning enforcement of rules, monitoring, surveillance, abuse of power, emotional abuse, financial abuse, deprivation, control of intimate family and close relationships, sexual abuse, physical abuse of children and adults, and then challenges upon leaving and everything else. And I'm looking at that list and that list, uh, that table of contents basically breaks down everything I've learned about the exclusive brethren since I've been covering them, a group that I didn't even know existed like three months ago. Um, right. right. When I showed you that list before we went on air and you looked at it and you told me be on the phone earlier today about um, that, the, that the group checks basically all the boxes of a cult, you know, do you have any goals with any of this stuff? Like, are you, are you sort of on a mission right now or are you just, you're not sure yet because of the fear of retribution? Because I hear that's one of the biggest things that people you know, take a look at when they do this kind of work or when they leave the church, they just don't want to ruffle any feathers because they don't want their life ruined. Well, and people, in fact, I had a lot of people approach me and say, why would you do something like this? Like, happy, you've got your family out, you know, why would you speak out now about something that, and I guess what I, I challenge them is, is that there's a lot, we have a lot 
lot of families still, I don't know if they've ever even considered the fact that this is not a church. Mm-hmm. Um, group that claim that their church is based on the Bible. And you're in the Bible to realize that this is not a church that is based on the Bible. Because they direct commandments in the Bible that that normal people can like just recite by them. Yeah, you know, there's no, I, I just saw so little correlation between the Bible, and it, it and it was really easy when I when I wrote this letter, and um, they made others that were responsible there, and it was really easy to look at them and say this, you know, you guys are responsible for this mess and inevitably they would go and they would say well this one did this this one did this or this one's mother is so insubmissive when we go to their house for a priestly and they yell at us and you know honestly when you stop a kid to death from a church you're gonna get more than me screaming at you I mean, yeah and it's funny, it, there's also um, a kind of a mystery element to Maple Creek. Uh, and I've heard this from um, yourself and Cheryl and Richard and others. How Maple Creek has a, for such a small community, how many people were in Maple, do you think, live there right now? Is it like 2,000 or something like that? I don't remember how much it is. Ballpark. Ballpark. I think that's about uh, right. And so for a community that's so small, they seem to have an inordinate amount or a disproportionate amount of these strange accidents that seem to befell people at very convenient or inconvenient times, depending on which side you're on. Um, this, I have a newspaper article that says storm kills man. This is Thomas Drever, 22, um, was found dead early this morning, four days after he abandoned his car during last weekend's freak show storm. Okay. And on its own, taken on its own, that doesn't seem like a big deal. And then there is... Uh, this one that says accident kills boy, Curtis Hope, 11 to Maple Creek died Saturday after a tractor. He was driving flipped over backwards, pinning him to the ground. Okay. That's, you know, you never know. And then this one, Janet and Agnes, sorry, Janet, Eileen, Agnes Drever was killed and three other passengers were treated in hospital for injuries after, uh, I guess it was a car accident or no, a semi-trailer was hit anyways, but there, and there's a bunch of other story, even Cheryl's dad. Cheryl's dad had like, I think, I think the timing was strange because um, she, I think she said, and I could get this wrong, Cheryl. So if you're listening, you want to correct me, then please do. But I think it was the, the, he had an uh, he had some sort of falling out with um, with an elder, her dad, yeah. and then the very next day yeah. had like a really bad accident on a tractor, you know. And it's like, okay, you know, and you don't want to speculate, but it is a a cult, <laughs> right? And and the more that I'm learning about this stuff, I'm sort of taking a deep dive into cults now. And I'm trying to figure out like certain key signs and what they really mean to the people that lead them. So when I see isolation, like when they isolate you from society as much as possible, they don't give you TV, internet, you're not allowed to listen to that kind of music and that. They tell you it's for your own good because the world out there is wicked, but really they just don't want the outside world influencing you to have any independence. Isn't that right? And so what kind of weird withdrawal do you go through when you leave? Is it like the, you know, is it like the Truman show where you're Jim Carrey and you're like, Oh my God, this is crazy. It's a whole world out there. Or is it, you know, is it scary? It is. It's really exciting. Like it's not hard to take kids out there. But this 
is awesome. You know, they have been mm. so confined and so straight laced that they get out there. And, and I think that was one of our, you know, concerns at first there and go bananas because that does happen in a lot of these cases. And you, you still have a lot of moral code, you know. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Have you, have you, have the brethren ever um, considered uh, consulting with the Amish who, uh, who seem to have their head wrapped around the one year away thing? They give him a shot. Okay, Jebediah, there you go out into the world. And if you like it and you don't come back, we know your answer, you know, that kind of thing. I kind of doubt it now because they're so electronically advanced. They're, they wouldn't even look. Every toy, every electronic that has ever been made, they have them now. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. there's also another legendary story. I think it's about your grandfather. Wasn't there something in his will like he had $20 million stashed somehow? Was that your grandfather? Uh, I, I, they put me in a bad spot here. Oh. <laughs> he had a lot, lot of money. A lot okay, of money. I'm sorry. <laughs> he had now, a lot of money. But, but I think that's that's pretty characteristic of all of these. And it's, and it's a lot of money that comes in in the form of cash and you know very good anywhere and, and i think that's one of the the big, big warning signs of a cult too is transparency you know you yeah, got a type... whole ton of money coming in and yeah. there, there's no no way of, of, of counting it and you know money and i know now it's 10 times worse than it ever was yeah, I imagine. I wonder if they're getting paid in Bitcoin now. Just you know, to keep <laughs> up with the times, right? Um, but but because it is it is really just being little. In little what? Sorry. It used to be in little white envelopes of cash, and after a, a three day meetings or a fellowship meeting, as they call them, which is the big get together, um, I used to open all these envelopes, and you would have American money, Canadian money, you'd have English pounds, you and. I often wonder what in the world must the bank thing think when she brings in all this soap and money, big stacks of cash. Yeah, because I'm not sure if the brethren are familiar with the mafia, but that's exactly how the mafia does it. Exactly. <laughs> Tony Soprano. Just, kind of, oh, it's a little light, Polly, you know, and he puts it in his pocket. Yeah. Like it's the same thing. Yep. And the tithing, the tithing that you have, I, I call it a tithing, yep. where families will just pay over their lifetimes, hundreds of thousands of dollars right. to uh, Mr. Hales there in Australia and never seem to question it. Like, why, you know, 
I don't even know how to ask the question anymore because the answer is always, well, you're in it from birth, so you just don't know that it's not the right thing to do. But I just, I guess, well, yeah, go ahead. When it's, it's worse than that, though, because you're not, mm. you're, you're technically not supposed to question things. It, you are brought up is questions are not, you're, you're not supposed to have, certainly don't verbalize them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and the kind of questions, especially that, um, and this is what I want to sort of break into on the second half here of our interview is the, the idea of, um, of speaking out in the context of protecting current and future potential victims, especially kids. We, um, so that whole thing about, uh, checking boxes that I, that I just mentioned was, yeah, you let me know that I think it was, there's 10 boxes that you can check if, to see if an organization is a cult and the one box that you left off and my lawyer is going to be really happy because he's going to be like, that's how you do it. That's how you do it safely. Um, is, was the sexual (laughs) abuse box because as of right now, the, the brethren can't be accurately described as a group that has been proven to be a haven for pedophiles. It, it, there is not, there's, there's not enough court cases. There's not enough you know, people coming forward until now because uh, of what uh, Cheryl did a couple months ago or a month ago. And um, how important is that? I, I mean, the isolation protects them from scrutiny. So how, how, first of all, how do you do it other than trying to get people that used to be in to contact their family to convince them to come out. But is there, is there a way that you feel that you can reach these people so that they can escape? Well, I think there's a lot rated from, from this show. Um, and I think there has been a lot of cases, but squashed. Um, you know, they'll say, oh, we'll take care of it. You know, as one, one person, you know, if you have a complaint about somebody, they'll sack sacrifice that one person and dealt with it. And, and so I think there's a lot of stories in there that people think that have been resolved, went into the details of it, they would find out that there's a lot of victims out, out there. And the second part of that, that question, and this is, this is very common in cults, they t- tend to blame the, the victim. So of coming forward, if, if you're going to be the one that's going to be to blame, either you dress too funny or, or close, or you put yourself in an awkward situation, situation it's always the victim's fault and that's what can be strong it's either the victim's fault or the victim's mother or it's, it's some woman um women in submission was their biggest beef <laughs> yeah and, and it seems to be like uh modeled around their own insecurity <laughs> you know they put you guys in bonnets and like ship from like Laura Ingalls time, you know, like house on the prairie styles. And, yeah. um, and when I see pictures of it, I'm just like, oh my God, like what is going on in the minds of that? And then I think to myself, maybe nothing because they have no idea what's going on in the outside world. And that's what makes it so sad. But on, on the sex abuse stuff, we were, when I had Richard on this uh, headline says I was raped by a leader of exclusive brethren, shock testimony from a man who alleges he was abused as a child by big Jim Taylor. Rock's Church's claim to charitable status. And now, is that the man, sorry, is that the man that um, replaced your dad or that your dad replaced? I forget. Big Jim your was re- before. Or your, your grandfather, sorry, sorry. Yes, Big Jim was before grandpa. He was two before grandpa. There was Jim right. Jr. and then there was grandpa. Okay, so big, this is his claim. He got uh, accused of raping a young man. And then um, 
he's like a father to me, harrowing note written by girl 12, who was molested by an exclusive brethren leader after members, including her own mother, convinced her to say she had made up the rape. A tw- a t- I can't see this is this is the like this is the psychological trauma that I can't even imagine being a child and having your own mom like yeah. your own mother be like, yeah, just just pretend the rape didn't happen, kiddo, and uh, and pretend you made it up. Your own mom. Like, I don't yeah. know what you do after that. You know, well, and it's so common in there because and this is one of the things that that um, is watching these parents and um, there's just not the not the normal your, your child has left the house at 13 years old 14 years old and gone out on their own i mean i didn't i just have little kids at that point but you know knowing what my mom went through because um knowing what she went through and until she made up her mind she was going with them she wept over them and yeah. watching these people in maple creek it was just kind of like oh that goes in 1994 there was 39 households in that church, the 39. So that's almost 33% were affected by one of these kids. Wow. Yeah. And it's, um, I don't know how to, how to, how to navigate these waters, but I do know one thing. Um, there is a person who is, who I would say is um, the individual that needs to be uh, sort of pointed to more than, more than the organization itself, um, more than even elders inside different uh, communities or whatever. And that is this man. Can you tell us who that is? <laughs> Big Bruce Hales. So and, and this yes, is Bruce Hales. Is 100% <laughs> responsible. <laughs> you know what? <clears throat> this is Bruce Hales. Bruce Hales is the leader of this cult. I have, I'm embarrassed um, that I haven't really talked about this guy all that much uh, with all of the different episodes that we've had, because basically this guy lives in like basically a castle in, uh, in, in Australia. This is where all the bags of cash go now um, to this man. This used to be the same position. He has the same position that your grandfather used to have. And when he travels and he goes to, and he goes to different functions in different countries, he's always got like armed security escort, and guys with the like, you know, they look like um, uh, like the the president's staff. What do they call this uh, secret service? And secret service. and who knows how much he's worth? Because of course the um, the brethren have the the whole business side to everything that they do. And you, you told me, I thought it was kind of funny, that you were so fed up that you called him directly. Called his dad. His dad. Oh, that's what his dad was, what his leader, dad was leader. Right. Yes. And what did yes. you what did, first of all, what, what was he just like, hello, who's this? How did you get the number for the bat phone or something? And then what did you say to him? Um, what are you talking about the first time? <laughs> what? Give me all of them, because the, the reason why I'm asking, by the way, I, some viewers might be like, OK, why is this even a question? Because no one ever talks to this guy. And when he comes over and does like a ceremony or whatever, they put a tent around him. No one looks at him. He goes from tent to car. Like he's kind of reclusive, isn't he? Bruce is. And I think that's come about. It's sort of been a transformation. Grandpa Simon's available to people, but mm. then you had to take him like he was too. And what I mean by that is to take, to rip you a new one. Right. If he thought you deserved a new one. 
um, Brucey has not made himself so so available. And I think part of that is he's he's this conglomerate, and yeah, he's got so much money that he's literally acts you know has his secret service. He thinks people are out to get him. He's extremely paranoid, which is also a big marker for for a cult leader. He's very very charismatic, very smart, very paranoid. Yeah, um, and very rich. And very rich. And Grandpa Simon um, would have, he was very simple. He would have ministered a gift is. So that's, that shows you how much it has transformed even in, in those two levels of leader. I wouldn't even recognize the position if I saw it now, now I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you're, I mean, to be fair, your grandfather did squirrel away a lot of money. He sure did. <laughs> he sure did. He sure did. I'm from so farmers, far. and I can guarantee you, because farmers don't make money. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> um, I wonder if any of it got moldy because he didn't pack it right. You know, you ever wonder that? <laughs> Just, but, I, you know, it's good that we can joke because otherwise this is a serious subject matter. But the reason why I put his picture up, though, is because... Oh, yeah. Can you tell me about the phone calls first? And why, first of all, why did you ever call him? And what were those phone calls like? And places, because any time that you write a letter like this, um, you're pretty much putting yourself on the line. As, as soon as we sent this letter to him, I called him and connected with him and said, did you, um, were you able to look at it? And, and just sort of reach out to him to say, hey, this is going to be, it goes off. Um, so if you want to protect us, that would be great. <laughs> and what did he say? And um, he said that after we got talking about it, he said he was absolutely horrified at the. He had no idea that this many shutting ups and withdrawn from had ever. And of course, you got to take that with a grain of salt because there's not a lot that goes on without what's going on. Now, now there's two sides of that coin because his son Brucey already had his finger pudding that was out there and there's a hell of a lot of stuff that Brucey knew that his dad didn't know and really 100% take that for granted but the first words out of his mouth after all of that I don't want to see you and your husband get out of fellowship or get put out of fellowship it's on there yeah but and I don't know if that was a blessing or if that was a curse in disguise that, that just put a huge target on our backs without them being able to come over and say, oops, you're gone. I would say it's a virtual lock that anything out of that man or his son's mouth is either a lie or designed to benefit anyone but you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Definitely, definitely was. A then we spent the next four, four and a half months, and I, I kid you not, four and a half months, meeting that we went to was we were the subject of the meeting. And as a woman, yeah. you can't say a word. <laughs> I was called a pillar of salt. I was called a fever. We had taken an evil report. I mean, I can't tell you all the things, but I know that it was for event trying to change our minds because they knew they couldn't get rid of us. Uh, Mr. Ed to say that they couldn't just get rid of us. Yeah. Um, it's also very disgusting because, you know, all of these communities are trying to figure out a way to function as a community um, by isolating themselves to the outside world, mostly for control, but apparently so that you're not badly influenced. Um, 
and and then your leadership is so far away and the only uh, recourse that has been taken was against the people complaining about what's happening instead of the actual people that are making it worse for everybody um right and um i'm going to speak about this a little ambiguously but um since cheryl's appearance on this show um i've had countless people that used to belong to the brethren contact me and tell me some of their stories and some of them claim that they were sexually abused some of them claim that they were physically abused some of them claim that they were financially abused and you know it is it's one of those things where if, if you're are, are you still feeling any impacts from being the granddaughter of the former leader of this organization is there any like blowback at all that lands on your lap still to this day and if not what was that blowback blowback like when you left um i wouldn't now definitely there was a lot of guilt trips because you were put in the most the privilege of spending all this time with your grandfather you should feel guilty for taking your and, and sorry no i don't because yeah we, we were told it was a church and it's not a church sorry no i i see someone in the comments talk... sorry go ahead go ahead i said churches don't do that garbage <laughs> well it depends what church let's you know <laughs> we'll yeah. with that. well i grew up catholic not all i'm not saying anything but Maybe that's a better yeah. way to put it. <laughs> um, so, listen, I, I, I think I'm going to wrap it up there, only because if, if, unless there's anything else that we didn't cover that you want to cover. But I want to just sort of, before you go, sort of re-emphasize that document that you created. You were inside the community. You were worried about the young people inside that community. You documented all of these priestly visits and these shutting up sessions, whatever they're called. And and then you you yeah. made that list of of young people, of kids, essentially. Um, right. And, you know, and we are now sort of in the process of trying to unpack that list and seeing if there's anyone on it that had similar experiences to Cheryl Hope. Right. And I guess I'd like to thank you, first of all, for for giving us that document and for, for sort of, give, uh, you know, establishing some context as to what it what it's really saying. I Because I, I admit when I read it, it's it, there's a lot of brethren ish language. And I wasn't sure, like, am I reading this correctly? Like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, um, and I think that it's potentially going to play a huge role in the, uh, in the coming months when we have more people coming forward. And, um, and I think yeah. I just want to say thank you. And I want to make sure that we keep the lines of communication open. Have you had a chance to connect with any ex-brethren at all in the last little while? Yes. Um, several have reached out and, you know, I'm here if anybody has any issues long enough to sort of you get your feet underneath you mm -hmm. um i ever has any of the issues it was hard hard when we left because there, it just didn't seem like there was a but yes if anybody has any issues you holler yeah uh, uh, contact uh, you, anyone can contact me and I'll forward it. I don't know. Um, um, if you don't, I wouldn't give out your email right now quite yet, but um, yeah, because it's um, it, it's 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 going to be a tremendous undertaking in the UK. They're a household name in Australia, they're a household name in New Zealand, they're a household name. United States, I don't think they're a household name in the United States, but they're no more than they are up in Canada. And there's such a cozy right. relationship in all of those countries between brethren businesses and the government and government contracts 
And that's, there's so many moving parts to this. There's the, there's the abuse allegations. There's the businesses that sort of, you know, um, they, they, they're inexplicably successful at getting gov- fat government contracts. Like, like there yeah. had to have been, and I'm speaking, you know, metaphorically a briefcase opening in a parking garage somewhere <laughs> where hundred percent, hundred percent. And I laughed when I saw some of the, I know the names of those businesses and yeah, I know the people behind the biggest, fattest contracts in Mon- in Manitoba was given to a by a guy by the name of John Haldane. John Haldane and I and and Rick, we had a real big disagreement. And our big disagreement was we said that the marriage could be wrong according to the information that he's been fed. And John Haldane down and across and, and around us for over an hour trying to get him back man of God or their person cannot make a mistake and he cannot be wrong. Asked Brucey and Brucey came back and said, there's no one perfect. The Bible tells us that. Well, but yeah, when I saw old John Haldane still on that list, I thought some things never. <laughs> yeah, right. It, yeah. It's, it's, it's very weird. And, um, Hey, did you ever like, this is going to sound really silly, but since you were a child, I'm going to ask it anyway. So I hope it doesn't sound like whatever. But since the exclusive leaders, the universal leader, whatever, is supposed to be able to talk to Jesus, did you ever go, hey, Grandpa, can you give me, you know, can you give me his number? <laughs> did you ever try because you thought you had the magic blood as well to talk to God? Like, was there ever a moment like that? Never a moment like that. Always talk about, oh, Mr. Simonton has a hotline to heaven. I don't think so because. I saw too many things, and, and I wasn't that old, but I was old enough to remember that he would bring out details of something, and Grandma would say, uh, you better check with that, because that doesn't sound pretty straight. Well, if they had a hotline to heaven, the answer would have been there already. And Grandma didn't always, she didn't always submissive either. And it would probably be this friggin' like rotary phone, you know? It's like a million. If you if you truly have faith, you'll memorize the twenty eight digit number you need to call Jesus. And she's like, "Damn it!" You know, yeah, never goes back. Now there wasn't no hotline to have. Been sorry, okay. guys. Okay, just checking. Um, listen, thank you again. I I like to end it on a light note. In fact, this whole interview was great and like that because um, you know, although there's so much darkness in that group, it's nice to talk to someone who's you know uh, who can talk about it without uh, it still seeming like it's leaving like it's left scars i'm sure it has but you uh you carry a good interview and um carmen Drever, we'll talk to you soon thank you very much for joining us. have a good day so um she's interesting because imagine just being raised in that environment and your grandpa is like saint peter and you're you know he comes out of the room and he's like listen i did just talked to jesus and uh, you got to go to bed <laughs> like i would be using that all the time Okay. Um, okay. Jokes aside, this she, like I said, is like the Princess Di of the Plymouth Brethren, and uh, her grandfather, being who he was, she had a kind of an inside line on all this stuff. Um, guys, we have like so many more ex Brethren members coming up, and I want you to sort of notice something. There is a um, there is a similarity between a lot of these guests, and then a ton of differences. There's there's believe it or not, diversity in in the Brethren. Um, 
when when I'm talking, I talked to Carmen and she just gives me the idea. She's she told me she's like country folk. She said she always dreamed of marrying a farmer when she was young, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> Never heard that before. Um, and you know, and and she's a she's a rural community member um, who just happened to belong to a very powerful bloodline. And when you talk to her, you get the sense of a salt of the earth kind of niceness. Um, you know, I don't have any reason to doubt her story. I know she is who she said she is. And um, it's very key that people walk away from the show remembering that she did author a document decades ago outlining the problems and the potential abuse uh, going on inside Maple Creek, Saskatchewan, where Cheryl Hope is from. And Cheryl Hope was in that document, by the way. And I think we need to um, just keep plowing forward. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, we have more guests from the Plymouth Brethren coming up in the next week or so. Uh, don't forget Monday, we have Adam Scorgi. He's going to talk to us about his documentary, Culture High, and we're going to screen the documentary as well. I don't know if I'm doing a show this weekend, but if I do, I, um, I will surprise you by letting you know seconds before I go live. Once again, thanks to everyone that's always in the chat. I see my harem. Um, and I see everybody else. And thank you again for watching Blackball. Cheers. Let's go to the Blue Hotel I want to live at the Blue Hotel The podcast that goes everywhere the imagination dares It's for the open-minded, the pleasure seeker it's Jeff Woods with the new podcast about relationships and sexuality, theme-based with special guests, the Blue Hotel Hotline, and every episode climaxes with an adult bedtime story. Get a room and listen in at the Blue Hotel. Begins Friday, September 23rd. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network.